Welcome home, everybody. You're watching Legacy Television. I'm Jeremy Pearsons, and we are so blessed, so honored, and so grateful to have you in the house, the house of faith with us today. On the broadcast today, we're going to show you part two of a message we began last week. And if you missed that one, I encourage you to get the Legacy Studios app or go on pearsonsministries.com, get caught up with this. But this is part two of a message we began from family night last week. So if you're familiar with Pearson's Ministries and what we do here at Legacy Studios, then you may know what family night is. But if you're new to this, family night is just an opportunity we take to get together as a family. Bunch of people pile in right here into this living room. We spend time in worship, we spend time in the Word, and we believe that this Word that you're gonna hear today is gonna strengthen you, is going to encourage you, and we are actively in agreement for signs that follow the preaching of the Word. Stay tuned, you're gonna be blessed. This is Family Night. The Scripture talks to us about the power of agreement. Jesus said it, where two or more are gathered together in my name, I'm gonna be there in the midst of them. If two or three come into agreement as touching this thing, it will be done for them by my Father. There's power in our agreement. Sarah and I have experienced that from the day we got married till this one. We have experienced so much power when she and I come into agreement concerning anything, concerning the kids, concerning their health, concerning finances, concerning the ministry. Whatever it is, we take some time, come into agreement with each other based on the word. But the real power is not so much in she and I come into agreement, but she and I coming into agreement with him. There's the power in your agreement. Agreeing with what God has said about it. So you got to find out what he said in his word. You got to have ears that would hear the spirit speaking to you. I, the, the time that stands out the most to me, we were very young in this ministry. She and I had served on my parents and grandparents staff, but uh, the Lord, most of you know the story. We felt impressed by God to launch out, start Pearson's ministries. And uh, we're very young in it. And not many people even knew we had a ministry, so it wasn't like we had a bunch of money coming in or anything like that. And I made the mistake early on of going to the ministry mailbox every day, looking for something there. But when nobody knows you're in ministry, there's not going to be something there every day. And because that was so deflating, I decided I need to give it a few days and just like let it build up, you know what I mean? So that when I go to the mailbox, I can say, look at all the mail that's here. So I let it build up a few days at one point. Well, I got to back up and tell you what happened going into that. We were getting ready to go on a trip and minister in New York City. And the Lord had just dealt with us, just, it seemed like months before that. These were the words that we got in our heart. I want you to come out of the commercial airline system and quit depending on them to help you do what I've called you to do. And he said, believe me for an airplane. Okay, we can do that. We've been around that. We've seen that. And we didn't have an airplane of our own at that time. But uh, we were seeking the Lord about how to get to New York. We're going on. This is one of our first ministry trips of our own. And so I called about uh, paying to use somebody else's. And uh, they told me, well, it's probably going to be somewhere between four and $6,000 to fly there. And I thought, Lord, are you sure about this? I mean, that's, that was most of everything we had in the bank at the time. And... Um, we weren't quite sure what to do about it, like whether we should do that or not, because it didn't seem, didn't seem smart, you know, to spend everything you got as a brand new ministry. We had no salary or anything, and we had a little baby at home. It didn't seem real smart to spend nearly everything you got on one trip. 
So she said, well, I'm going to go away and pray about it. And you go away and pray. And then let's see what the Lord says. So I did. And she did. I'm telling you, we both got the same thing in our heart. She came back home. and She said, we're supposed to do it. I said, you're right. We are. I said, what number did you get that we're supposed to believe God for? How much money? She said, 4,000. I said, that's exactly what I got in my heart, $4,000. So we held hands in the master bedroom of our first little house on Chalk River. And we prayed together. We came into agreement and we just began to worship the Lord. And we said, Father, we thank you for meeting this need. You said, if two or more were coming to agreement, you would do what we asked you to do. So we believe we received $4,000 for this trip. That was on a Sunday night. And I hadn't been to the mailbox maybe a day or so before that. And so I was letting it build up. Tuesday, I decided to go to the mailbox. And it had built all the way up to two letters. That's how much mail was coming in. And uh, she was in the car on the phone with her mom, I think. And I went inside and got the mail, brought it back out to the car, opened the first letter. Somebody had partnered with us for $50, which to this day overwhelms me. And I don't even really remember knowing who that person was. And I thought, God, how, number one, how do they know? Number two, thank you for speaking to somebody else about me, about us. It's a miracle to me. To this day, it's overwhelming to me. It's the love of God. So I opened that one, praise God, $50. Open the next one, $4,000. It took my breath. Like literally, I gasped. And Sarah said, what, 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 what? And I turned around and I showed her the check. Tears just began to come to both of our eyes. God had been so faithful. The power of agreement. And I looked at the check and it was written before we ever prayed. I thought, Lord, what are you doing here? I don't understand this. And, and he walked me through the whole thing and he said, look, you got to, number one, experience, experience hearing my voice. Number two, you got to experience the power of coming into agreement, you and your wife. And number three, you got to find out that I knew what you needed before you even asked. Changed our lives. Now, since that time, we've seen that much come in. We've seen less. We've seen much more. But that one marked us for eternity. The power of agreement. Coming into agreement with God. That's what this is talking to you about here. Verse 24, he said, let, therefore let them, or excuse me, therefore let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. Now this word abide just simply means stay. That's probably the word I would use. Let that stay in you. To abide somewhere means to live there, to stay there. Let that stay in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides or if it stays in you, you also will abide or stay in the Son and in the Father. Verse 25, and this is the promise that he has promised us eternal life. These things I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Verse 27 though, but the anointing, the burden removing, yoke destroying power, which you have received from him abides in you. It abides in you. Jesus talked a lot about abiding. He said, apart from me, if you don't abide in me and my words don't abide in you, you won't bear fruit. There won't be any proof of the seed of the word of God sown in your life unless you abide there. 
He said, but if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you can ask what you will and my father's going to do it for you if you stay, if you'll just stay. Now, these scriptures are telling us that we have to abide. Jesus is telling us that we have to abide. Evidently, it's not automatic. Evidently, there are going to be a number of things in this life on a daily basis that are trying to pull you and I up out of that abiding place. That place abiding, staying in him, staying in his word, staying in his love, staying in the anointing. There's things trying constantly to pull you up out of that place. And yeah, you're born again and that's wonderful. And yeah, Jesus lives in your heart and that's great and you're full of the Holy Spirit. But abiding is not automatic. It doesn't just happen. You have to do it. You stay in that place. You've probably heard me say this before, but the last few years at home before I moved out, uh, living at mom and dad's house, we got a dog. We got a big old standard poodle named Hank. And we thought Hank was just brilliant. This was a brilliant dog. Loved this dog. But you know why we thought Hank was brilliant? We thought our dog was brilliant for the same reason you think your dog is brilliant. You know why? Because we'd we'd say, watch this. Look how brilliant Hank is. Watch this. Hank, sit. You know what he would do? Sit. Then we said, no, watch this. It gets better. Stay. You know what Hank would do? Stay. He's brilliant, right? This is genius level dog right here. But I really do believe sometimes the Lord wishes that you and I were half as brilliant as Hank, that we would just sit and stay when he said stay. But there's so many things vying for our attention, vying for our focus that are trying to pull you up out of that abiding place, abiding in him, abiding in the word, abiding in the anointing. He said, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. Now look at verse 28, the the result of all of this. Now, little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Confidence is the direct result of abiding in the anointing. This is where confidence comes from, from staying in the anointing. I like the New Living Translation that says, uh, in place of confidence, he says that we may be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. These two things are opposite. You're either living with confidence and courage, or you're shrinking back in shame, being ashamed. Now you see some of these same things bared out in the next couple of chapters. Look at chapter four, verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness. That same word translated boldness is the word that got translated just a page ago, confidence. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness. But check this out. When do we have boldness? In the day of judgment. Can you imagine having boldness on judgment day? I mean, of all the days to just be bold, of all the days to just be confident, 
of all the days to just come up into the presence of God without any kind of sense of fear, without any kind of sense of shame, judgment day? That's what he said in the, in the verse we looked at previous, not be ashamed before him at his coming, not shrink back in shame. Most of this world, when they see Jesus and when they stand before the Father on judgment day, will do that right there. They will shrink back in shame but not you and not me. We've been given a place to come boldly before the throne of grace. Now, boldness, boldness has got to have a source. The anointing is the reason for our boldness. And verse 17 of chapter four, again, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. Well, how is Jesus? He's anointed. And if he is, so is we. So am I. So are you. He is anointed. We are anointed. And there's the source for our confidence. There's the source for our boldness. Now check this out. If you can have boldness on judgment day, when this whole thing goes down, and if you can have boldness and confidence standing in the presence of God on judgment day? What's Tuesday down here? What's the day of the week down here? What's standing in the face of anyone or anything else? If you can, according to the Bible, have boldness before the Father, then you ought to be living with some boldness here and now. But your boldness has to have a source. It's an awareness of the anointing on you, an awareness of the anointing in you. But remember this, the anointing is not just for the sake of the anointing. It's always anointed to, anointed for something. Love's been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. Go with me now. Let's spend a little time looking at this. Can you hang in there for just another moment? Go back to 1 Samuel. Let's go to the Old Testament. We'll look at a couple of scriptures here. In 1 Samuel chapter 9 and chapter 10, we touched on some of this last month, but we're introduced to a young Israelite guy named Saul. Saul, who would very shortly become the first king of Israel. But I want you to read a little bit about Saul. We know he became king and all that, but listen, listen to a little bit about him from 1 Samuel chapter 9. In verse 1, it says, there was a man of Benjamin, talking about this tribe of Israel, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish. Now, other translations add that Kish was a wealthy man. It says there was a wealthy man of Benjamin whose name was Kish. Verse two, he had a choice and handsome son named Saul. Saul was choice, <laughs> choice and handsome. I don't know totally what choice means, but it sounds right. It sounds good. Honestly, it just basically means most eligible bachelor. <laughs> He was choice 
and handsome. I like this detail. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. Now, the Bible does not exaggerate. And if the Bible says Saul was the best looking dude in the whole country, guess what? Saul was the best looking dude in the whole country. He was choice. <laughs> Why do I say it like that? It's like noise. Choice. He was choice and handsome. I sort of feel like we're going to start something with choice. Like, we're, is, that, is that a thing? Do people look at nice things? Like, man, that's choice. <laughs> I feel like we're going to start something. Jordan, I'm looking to you, man. You're going to get this started for me. He was choice and handsome. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. Here's another interesting detail. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. He was, yeah, long neck. <laughs> that was something desirable back in those days. Wow, he's got a, well, anyway. But he was taller, taller than everybody else. He's choice. He's handsome. We know he comes from money. Got a wealthy dad. Well, this story goes on. Uh, Kish, Saul's dad, loses some donkeys. This happens. It's happened to all of us. One time or another, we've all lost. Actually, I bet you guys probably have, yeah, maybe. But uh, some donkeys escape, three to be exact. And so Kish sends out his good-looking son, Saul, to go find the donkeys. Well, they spend, Saul and his servant go out for days. They can't find the donkeys. So finally, Saul says, we got to go home. Dad's going to be worried. And his servant says, wait, before we go, there's a prophet here somewhere. I know he lives around here. If we can find the prophet, he can tell us where the donkeys went. And Saul's like, okay, it's worth a shot. Let's go looking for the prophet. Well, they go looking for the prophet. They come across a group of girls and they say, where's the prophet? Now, I imagine these girls were like, you know, he's pretty choice. He's, he's handsome. <laughs> We don't, we don't really have their response. I bet it was kind of awkward though. You know what I mean? It's like, oh my God, he was talking to me. <laughs> but they said, they said, the prophet's right up there. If you hurry, you can go meet him. So Saul and his servant run up and meet the prophet Samuel. Well, now notice this in chapter nine, verse 15. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came saying, tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. So when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, there he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, please tell me where is the seer's house or the prophet's house? Samuel answered Saul and said, I'm the seer. Go up before me to the high place for you shall eat with me today. And tomorrow I will let you go in and will tell you all that is in your heart. But as for your donkeys, back to the donkeys, they were, that were lost three days ago, do not be anxious about them for they've been found. Now notice this, listen to what he says. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and all your father's house? Man, talk about a subject change. Don't worry about your donkeys. Oh, and by the way, on who is all the desire of Israel? See, at this point, Israel had been crying out to God, we want a king. Tell him the prophet, we want a king. Give us a king. We want a king. And Samuel looked at Saul and said, the, the whole desire of the nation is on you and on your father's house. 
It's Saul's response that intrigues me though. Verse 21, Saul answered and said, am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak to me like this? Notice the words he used to describe himself. Am I not a Benjamite, the smallest tribe, most insignificant tribe? And Saul, tall Saul, good-looking Saul, choice Saul, wealthy, comes from money. How does he see himself? The smallest and the least. See, this is why you should never be quick to assume what's going on in somebody's heart. How many times have we been guilty of looking at somebody who on the outside looks like they've got everything they need going on? Handsome, wealthy. You don't know what's going on in there. This is a, this is a window into the soul of Saul. Samuel starts talking to him about the, the desire of the nation of Israel and it's on him and on his family. And he immediately goes to this, I'm small. I'm the least. That word least literally means in age, the youngest. It, it literally translates to in value, the least value. This is how he sees himself. This is what he sees when he looks at Saul. Why are you talking to me like this? Why are you talking to me like I'm somebody? Why are you talking to me like I've got something to offer or something to bring? Samuel didn't even respond to that, gave him some instructions. Look at chapter 10, verse one. Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, is it not because the Lord has anointed you? What's he anointed him for? To be commander over his inheritance. Now at this point, Saul, I mean, just a few days ago, he just was out looking for donkeys. And now he's covered in the anointing oil. And things are changing. Things are changing. And Samuel begins to explain to him, here's what's about to happen. Here's what's coming in the next few moments, the next few days, all because now you're anointed. And in verse six, you see, well, back up at verse five, he says, you'll come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is. It will happen when you've come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them. So he's gonna say, you're going to see a band coming. This is a traveling band. And they will be prophesying. Verse six, the spirit, well, notice what he says. Then the spirit of the Lord will come upon you. Now, what have we already read about this? What did Jesus say? The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. So Samuel's talking to him about the anointing that's on his life. The spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. That's what the anointing does. That's what the anointing does. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more. 
You can also visit pearsonsministries.com to contact us directly and find out how you can get involved with everything that's happening here at Legacy Studios. Be blessed today. We love you. Remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.